0: Now, if you're new with us, my name's Trent, one of the pastors on staff here, and we are in part three of a Christmas series that is based on a prophetic statement that the prophet Isaiah said almost 700 years before Jesus was born. And he made this statement about Jesus. So, listen to what prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 9:6. He said, For a child is born to us a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And you may have heard uh, those phrases, those titles of Jesus. You may even heard that verse said around the Christmas season. Often uh, we'll hear that on Christian radio or in different environments. And over the past two weeks, Tim has done a great job of helping us understand what it means for Jesus to be our wonderful counselor and our mighty God. Today, we're going to look at what it means for Jesus to be our everlasting father. And and I have to kind of reveal a a little bit of a a teaching secret to you. When Tim and I sit down to decide who's going to teach what, uh, often we do it in a real spiritual way. And we, we did that with this series when we were looking at the titles of Jesus. So we decided we were going to play rock, paper, scissors. So we're looking at the titles, and I said, listen, I don't want to teach Everlasting Father. That's too confusing. So rock, paper, scissors. So after losing two out of three, I said, how about best out of five? Tim said, uh-uh. I got the first two. You got the last two. Um, actually, that did not happen. But just, just to let you know that this title Of Jesus being Everlasting Father is a confusing title, and it's caused some division within some church circles. There's actually people who believe that this title proves that there's no such thing as the Trinity relationship, the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There are people that that believe this title proves that Jesus is actually God the Father, that he became God the Son when he came to earth. When he left earth, he went back to being God the Father. But this title is not a proof text for or against the Trinity relationship. This title is a symbolic title that is given to Jesus. So, to help us understand that, I I want us to learn from somebody who is really smart, studied this a whole lot more than probably any of us have. His, His name is Pastor Charles Spurgeon. If you're not familiar with him, He was a pretty well-known pastor from England in the 1800s. And so I'm going to read a few things that he said about this title. And as we read this, I want you to understand that that, uh, he's going to speak in a little bit of a language that we don't quite use today. So it's a lot of rich language, and it's very powerful. So listen to kind of what he's saying as I get through this. All right, so first part of this, Spurgeon says... How complex is the person of our Lord Jesus Christ? Almost in the same breath, the prophet calls him a child and a counselor, a son, and the everlasting father. This is no contradiction, and to us, scarcely a paradox, but it is a mighty marvel that he who was an infant should be at the same time infinite. He who was the man of sorrow should also be God over all, blessed forever, and that he who is in the divine trinity, always called the Son, should nevertheless be correctly called the Everlasting Father. How forcibly this should remind us of the necessity of carefully studying and rightly understanding the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then Spurgeon said, It is necessary at the outset to observe that the Messiah is not here called Father by way of any confusion with him who is preeminently called the Father. Our Lord's proper name, as far as the Godhead is concerned, is not the Father, but the Son. Let us beware of confusion. The Son is not the Father. Neither is the Father the Son. And although they are one God, essentially and eternally, being forevermore one and indivisible, yet still the distinction of persons is to be carefully believed and observed. Then he concluded with this. That our text has no bearing upon the position and titles of the three persons of the Trinity with regard to each other. It does not indicate the relation of deity to itself, but the relation of Jesus Christ to us. He is to us the everlasting Father. So, again, this is a very symbolic title for Jesus, and it describes his relationship with us, not his relationship with the other members of the Trinity. It, it's much like the title that we have given to many people throughout history. So this morning, I've got a little pop quiz for you. So I'm going to uh, ask you a question. I'm going to say something like, who is the, known as the father of, and I'll say a specific area, and I would like you to tell me who you think the father of that specific thing is. Okay? Don't we all love pop quizzes? All right, this one won't be graded, so just relax, and you'll notice that most of you will participate at the beginning, and fewer and fewer of you will participate as we move on. Okay, so who is known as the father of America? George Washington. There was one confident up front, and then a bunch of murmuring going on. Remember, no murmuring in church. Okay, so George Washington, yes, that is the correct answer. Who's known as the father of the Constitution? Madison, James Madison. If you said James Madison, that is the correct answer. Obviously, there's a lot of people working on the Constitution. but He's known as the father of the Constitution. How about the father of history? And a hush <laughs> came over the church. I'll, I'll give you a hint. There's a Greek historian. Herodotus, Herodotus. Greek historian Herodotus is the correct answer. Who is the father of philosophy? Did I hear somebody say Socrates? If you said that, you are correct. All right, here's a tricky one. Who's known as the father of psychology? Most people think Freud. He's known as the father of psychoanalysis. To name most of you, are going to go, who? Wilhelm Wundt. Oh, you're going, yeah. oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> Come on, you didn't know that. You didn't know that. How about the father of physics? If you say Newton, Galileo, or Einstein, all kind of share that title. Now, we understand that these are descriptive titles for the influence that those men had on those areas of lives. We know that Washington did not father every child born in America, right? Right? You didn't know that. You now do know that. That It's a symbolic title, same kind of deal for Jesus, this title for Jesus. He is symbolically our everlasting Father for anyone who puts their faith and trust in Him as their personal Lord and Savior. It is exciting. Now, here's where it's not as exciting. Here's where people struggle with this title for Jesus. There are many people who don't have a good relationship with their father, and they struggle to see Jesus in this context. There are many people who don't have a relationship with an earthly father, and so like I don't even know how to have a relationship with somebody like that or even a father figure, and so we struggle in our potential relationship with God in that same context, and this is something that that happens here in our community, and it happens all around the world. When we go on our international mission trips, we see the effects of this and the the real tension and struggle of this. When we go to Guatemala, we've got two trips this summer. We're going to go to Ukraine as well. And in both of those countries, we see the effects of bad relationships with dads. In Guatemala, we have learned through our years of being there that not every dad does this, but there are a number of dads that do this. When they feel like they have too many mouths to feed and they just can't keep up with their family they leave and they go move to another community and they start a new family. That leaves a mom and that leaves her struggling to raise her kids and we see that consistently in the people that we work with. When we're in Ukraine, we see something similar. There's, uh, I think we were told about 45% of Ukrainian families battle with alcoholism. So there are a whole bunch of dads that are alcoholic and abusive or absent. And uh, we're working with kids that are desperate to see a man, like a father figure, just show genuine love and compassion to those kids. So the word father, the word dad doesn't always evoke the greatest emotions in people. Maybe even today as I bring that up, maybe for you, maybe you're thinking like, didn't have the greatest relationship with my dad. Now, here's an interesting thing that we do with our emotions connected to our dad that we don't do with our emotions connected with our moms. With our dads, we often project those emotions onto our relationship or lack of relationship with God. So if our relationship with our dad was good, we often think that God is good. If our relationship with our dad is bad, if our dad was abusive, if our dad was absent, there are moments that we, we look at God and think, well, maybe he just doesn't care, or maybe he just doesn't even exist. So I want you to think for just a moment about how your relationship with your earthly father has impacted your relationship or lack of relationship with God. Just take a moment. Think about that. Whether you can like, make a clear distinction in a quick moment or not, your relationship with your earthly father heavily influences your relationship with God, who can be or, or possibly is your heavenly father. And I got to tell you, as a dad, that is so humbling to me. Like there are moments like I just think I am screwing my kids up because I'm not representing God well to them. But regardless of what kind of a dad that you are, or what kind of a dad you have, Jesus wants to show us what a relationship with an everlasting father could be like and should be like. And so I want you to listen to what Psalms 103 says. And this is a a Psalm written by King David. So if you know David and Goliath, if you know that story, that's that David who's going to speak these words here. In Psalms 103, he says in verse 8, he says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. And then in verse 13, he says, The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. So David says the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And throughout the first four books of the New Testament part of the Bible, which are known as the Gospels, we see Jesus demonstrating compassion to people on a regular basis. Listen to what Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 says. It says Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had, what's that word? Compassion. He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I'm just curious. Has anybody here ever been confused or helpless before in your life? Anybody besides me? All right. So a number of us have felt that way. And the amazing thing is when we are confused, when we feel helpless, Jesus isn't disappointed. Jesus isn't angry. He has large amounts of compassion on us. And that may be kind of a foreign thought because when you think about your dad, like maybe you've never been able to live up to your dad's expectations. Maybe your dad was always disappointed in you. Maybe your dad was always angry and you were and you thought that maybe it was always your fault. But Jesus isn't like that. Jesus is compassionate and merciful. And he wants to be an everlasting father to all of us. So I want you to listen to a story a powerful story about Jesus kind of displaying fatherly compassion uh, on a father and his son. It's recorded in Mark chapter 9. And I got to tell you that this story involves, actually a true story, that involves demon possession. So this young boy has a demon in him. And I don't know what you believe about that, whether you believe demons are real or not, or if that's just you know kind of made-up stuff, kind of Halloween stuff. But we're going to see in just a minute that Jesus... Believed in demons. He's actually going to interact with this demon. We actually did a spiritual warfare series uh, not long ago. If you're interested in learning more about that, I do encourage you to to go and listen to the information in that series. It can be very helpful. But what we're going to watch is Jesus displaying fatherly compassion in this story. So the story goes a little bit like this. Uh, There's a son who, at some point, not exactly sure what age, had become uh, possessed by a demon and this demon tormented him. It tormented him by making him grind his teeth, wouldn't let him speak, wouldn't let him hear, uh, would throw him into the fire, would throw him into water, trying to kill him. And his parents had the task of trying to keep him alive 24 hours a day. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine how difficult that would have been? There was no like, hey, time to go off to school. Great. They they have you at school all day. There's none of that going on. Uh, this was their 24-7 job to take care of their son and just try to keep him alive. You know, and some of you I know can understand what it's like to be in that context. Some of you are, are raising a, a child that's got a challenge or a difficulty in their life, and, and you know what it's like to, to kind of feel that burden. Or, or maybe you have a child going through a really difficult season, and, and you know what it's like to just be worried about them all the time and praying for them constantly and trying to do anything and everything you can do to help your child. Well, that's where this father was at in this story. That's where he and his his wife were at. And so this dad brought his son to Jesus. Jesus wasn't there in the moment, so he asked his disciples to heal him, and they couldn't cast out this evil spirit. And then Jesus shows up. Mark chapter 9, verse 17, the boy's father tells Jesus, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. His father's desperate. Jesus tells him to bring him a little bit closer, bring the boy closer. In Verse 20 it says, so they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion And he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. And we're not exactly sure what was going through Jesus' mind in that moment, but I wonder, as he was standing there with his disciples and this father and this son and a crowd that was gathering, I wonder what he was thinking. I wonder if he was thinking about all the pain and all the sorrow that this son had been through in his life. I wonder if he was thinking about all the pain and sorrow this dad and his wife had been through. There was actually a a stigma attached to um, illnesses in that day, in that community, in that culture. That if you had something wrong with you, it was because you sinned somehow. Like this was part of your punishment. And so in in this community, uh, this family would have felt that. I mean, there probably could have been people who said, I'm not doing business with you because, you know, you obviously have sin issues in your life. I mean, look at your son. We're not sure, but there was a whole lot of pain and sorrow that this family had gone through, and I wonder if Jesus was thinking about that, and I wonder if Jesus was thinking back to Isaiah 9-6, what Isaiah said about himself, that he would be an everlasting father, I wonder if in that moment he thought, you know what, I'm about to re- reveal myself as a compassionate, merciful, everlasting father. We're not exactly sure all that Jesus was thinking in that moment, but in verse 21, he asked, how long has this been happening? The boy's father replied, since he was a little boy, spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. And Jesus responded, what do you mean if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. Anything is possible. And the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but Jesus, you gotta help me. You gotta help me overcome my unbelief. And I wonder if there was kind of more behind that. Like, Jesus, I've tried everything I know to do. We've gone to every priest, we've gone to every rabbi, we've gone everywhere, we've gone to every doctor, we've done everything. We've exhausted all that we have. We are weary, we are worn out, I don't know anything else to do. All I knew was come see you, you weren't here. So I saw your disciples and they couldn't do it and I was hopeful when I came to see them and my hopes were dashed again when they couldn't do it and so here I am wanting to believe, but I'm struggling. And the cool thing was Jesus didn't rebuke him. Jesus didn't say, well, I could have helped, but you needed to believe fully. Jesus had compassion on him. Verse 25 says, when Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead, and a murmur ran throughout the crowd as people said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Now, can you imagine if we were there? Can you imagine that moment of watching this whole thing unfold and the awe and silence that probably filled the crowd as they watched this little boy stand up? And and what this meant for him, this meant a new life for this young boy. This meant a new life for this dad and his wife and their family. This meant a new life for them as they engaged their community in a whole new way. This was amazing. All the pain, all the sorrow that they had been through was gone in an instant because Jesus revealed himself as a compassionate, everlasting father. Jesus is so compassionate, he says in Uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is so compassionate. He wants to give us rest. And during this Christmas season doesn't a little bit more rest sound great? Uh, anybody else need like a couple more hours maybe in bed or something? All right, so if you have space next to you, just go ahead and lay down. You know, <laughs> feel free to you know sleep on our uncomfortable bench that's there. Um, people have been getting rest in my sermons for years, and so <laughs> won't you know hurt my feelings at all? We'll wake you up before the third, third service is over so you can go home. But Jesus isn't just interested in in us getting a little bit more sleep. Jesus is interested in giving us rest for our souls. So Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary. Some of you this morning, you're not just tired. You're weary. You're weary from what you're walking through. You're weary from worrying, you're weary from trying, you're weary from carrying that weight on your shoulder that you feel like is crushing you and you're not sure you can make it much longer in this scenario with what you're dealing with. And Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary, and I will give you rest. A few years ago, We were at one of our baptisms at the ocean, and I just love having baptisms there. It's just a fantastic environment. And we were there, and after the baptism was over, my son, who at the time, uh, he's 13 now, at the time he was just learning to swim, so he was a little guy. And we had been practicing in a pool, and uh, he saw some friends out there in the ocean, and he, he... Dad, can I go out and swim a little bit in the ocean? I said, sure, buddy, just kind of stay close to the shore. So he was kind of, you know, new to the swimming in the ocean thing, so he didn't quite understand all of it. So he went down and was swimming. And the current kind of picked him up and floated him out a little bit too far. So all of a sudden, he went from being, you know, on the sand to on tiptoes, occasionally kind of bouncing. And he could have swam in that moment, Um, but he got overwhelmed with the whole thing that was going on, the environment, like everything. It was just like too overwhelming for him. He felt like he couldn't see real well. The waves are a little bit bigger where where his perspective was, and he started taking on some water. He started kind of splashing a little bit and panicking a little bit, and so I went down, and I stepped into the water, and I, I got out right to where he was, and he turned around, and he looked up at me, and his eyes told me everything. His eyes says, Dad, like... I am tired. I am weary. I don't know if I can do this much longer. So I reached down and scooped him up. He scrambled up around my neck and held me tight. And he experienced not only some rest for his little body, I think he got a glimpse of a little bit of rest for his soul. Some of you this morning are like my son you are weary. And you're wondering, can I do this any longer? I'm not sure. I can I can keep my head above water. And you might be thinking, I, like I just, I just think maybe it's better if I just quit. God wants you to know this morning, He wants to scoop you up and provide you rest for your soul. But you gotta come to Him. Like He's there, like He's in the water with you, His arms are extended you got to turn and you got to actually come to him. So if you are a Christ follower, I, I want to ask you this. Are you experiencing rest for your soul? If you aren't, I wonder, when was the last time that you came to, to God and you kind of poured out your heart to him and you let him keep all that stuff? I'm pretty good at, at bringing my burdens to God when they pile up on my life, I kind of like start collecting them and collecting more of them. And, and then when I don't feel I can manage them anymore, I'm real good at going to God and going, here you go, blah, kind of vomiting it all on him. I'm not real good at leaving it with him. Often I don't feel like God is going to solve my issues when I want him to or how I want him to. So then I'll go, oh, okay, you're busy. Okay, I'll take this one back. And then I'll take this one back. And then you know what, i I got a better strategy than you have on that one, so I'll just you know, do this one. And then all of a sudden, I've got them all back on me again. And I charge off, and I don't have rest for my soul. So when was the last time you came to Jesus and you poured out your burdens to him and you left them there? You didn't pick them back up. If you aren't a Christ follower, Jesus promises rest for your soul. <coughs> And it's through a personal relationship with him. It's through us coming to him as our symbolic, everlasting father, where we say, Jesus, like I I understand that you died so I can live. I understand you're compassionate. You're merciful. You're good. You're a loving father. You're humble. You're gentle. And I need to have a relationship with you. So if you've never made that decision before, I hope that today will be the day that you do that. Scripture says, today is the day of salvation. So today could be your day. Your day that you understand Jesus as your everlasting father. When you open the door of your heart and say, Jesus, will you come in? Like, I'm weary. I'm weary of trying to to make all this work in my own life through my efforts. Like, Jesus, I believe that you died so I can live. And I'm, I'm trusting in what you have done, not what I have done. Like that's how simple it is to start a relationship with Jesus and see God revealing himself to us as compassionate and merciful and a God who will guide us the rest of our lives. So again, if you've not made that decision before in your life, I hope that you will. And I hope that you'll do that today. So in just a minute, our worship team is going to come out and they're going to sing a song for us and guide us through this song called Good, Good Father about how good of a father God is for us, and God can be for us, for those who may not have entered that relationship, and so I just encourage you, like, if you're weary, if you're tired, if you're carrying a burden you don't think you can carry anymore, if, if you've got a relationship with your dad that's just not doing great, and, and you would love to experience what is it like to have a relationship with a good father I encourage you this morning just to come to Jesus. Like bring that stuff to him. Talk to him about that in the context of this song and, and allow that to kind of guide you throughout this Christmas season, understanding how good of a father God is for us. So if you would, let's pray, and then we're gonna sing. Lord, we're so grateful for this title of Jesus, that we can interact with Jesus as a compassionate, merciful, everlasting father. And Lord, I just pray for some folks here today. Lord, I know that, that today there are some people here who are weary. Beyond just tired, they're weary, and they need to understand you in a, in a whole new context. And maybe they've never understood that they could come to you and they could bring their burdens to you. And Lord, I pray that today that they will they will understand that and they will do that, even the context of the song of us just being reminded that you are a good, good father to us. Lord, there might be some folks here that they've never put their faith and trust in, in Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And Lord, I pray that that would happen. I know as scripture says, you are standing at the door of their heart and you're knocking and you're a gentleman. You'll never bust any door down and make anybody do anything that they don't wanna do. So you're just knocking and you're waiting for them to open the door and say, come on in, Jesus. Come into my life and change me forever. So Lord, I pray that that'll happen this morning if somebody's in that spot. Lord, thank you for being a compassionate, merciful Father to us who offers us rest for our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.